On today's episode, we sit down with Alex Wachowski, also known as Alex and Books. And Alex is 26 years old, but has already read over 200 books in his lifetime. And at the time of this recording, has over 120,000 followers on social media across Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and more. On today's episode, we talk about Alex's favorite books, how to become a better reader, and strategies on how someone can go from zero to 100,000 followers on social media. Let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a review below and hitting up Gio or myself on Twitter. Now, please enjoy the episode. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. Alex, do you want to go and maybe give yourself a little 30-minute or 30-second introduction uh, with just some of your background and what it is that you've been working on over the past four or five years? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, my name is Alex Wachowski, but most people know me as Alex in Books. So, about the for the past four years, I've just been sharing uh, book reviews and book summaries. And recently, I pivoted to sharing reading tips and teaching people, one, how to inspire people to read books and how to help them read more books and become a better reader. So the whole brand is just about teaching people the skill of reading. And that's what I've been doing. And like you said, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, YouTube, and just trying to, you know, inspire both people, both young and old people to, you know, find their passion or for reading or reignite that passion that they may have lost uh, somewhere along their life. And where did this all start? Were you just all of a sudden you're reading when you were younger and you realized you just loved books and you had to read all of them and then help everyone else read them? Or did you just kind of sit down one day and decide that, you know, this is something you want to focus on? Yeah. So I was actually like a regular kid. Like I love, you know, I did read a lot of books and I enjoyed reading, but I also loved playing video games and, you know, playing sports. And then around like high school, I had a series of bad experiences in like school. And I'm sure a lot of people could relate. Like you have a bad English teacher or you're forced to read, you know, all these old books that you don't really enjoy. And even though it's English, it's like not like modern English. It's like Shakespeare. And it's like you have to, you know, look up spark notes and not reading the book. You're just reading a summary of it. And that kind of like killed my love for reading. And so for high school and even the beginning of college, I didn't read books. And then one day I had uh, my college professor, it was a management class and and this guy, he worked at IBM for 30 years during his like golden years. And he told us out of all the books he read in life, uh, the most important one was this one called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, because he was like a uh, VP. Um, uh, he was very high up in the company. And he's like, this is the most important book I read when it comes to dealing with people. And I was a very like antisocial type of kid, you know, wasn't that great at forming relationships. And I was like, there's no way a book could teach us how to build social skills, especially one that's like 100 years old. And not only did he like assign this book, but we would have to read it and then write a summary of it. And then we actually, uh, in class, like we would act on. So it'd be like, hey, when you talk with someone, make eye contact or like, you know, share a similar body language or give like a firm handshake. And it was not only this like reading of a book that changed me, but it was also like implementing a book and just realizing that there's nonfiction books and self-development books out there that could teach you almost any skill that really opened up my mind. Because like, if I can learn social skills from a book, what else can I learn? And I realized the answer was anything and everything. So ever since then, I've just been reading like as many book, books as possible. That's awesome. And for those of you guys who are just listening on audio, Alex has a massive bookshelf behind him uh, with what I've got to imagine are hundreds of books um, that he's probably read throughout the years. I definitely, I, I also read the, uh, I think Gio did as well, the How to Win Friends and Influence People. Definitely one of the most actionable self-help books and just books on persuasion and influencing and, and meeting other people. Like I think one of the biggest takeaways I had from that was, um, everyone's favorite sound or favorite word is their own name. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a, definitely a funny thing when you're going and talking with other people. Um, and so putting it into perspective for anyone listening today, do you have, it, it might be tough to summarize this, but do you have a number on how many books that you've actually read over the past four or five years? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's getting close to uh, 200 now. So each year I've, uh, I've been reading more and more books as I kind of learned how to, you know, you learn the skill of reading, you learn how to find more enjoyable books, and then, you, you know, you find out how to create more time into reading. And reading just like anything else is like a skill, and the more you practice it, the more better you'll get at it, and the more you'll do it. Uh, so, yes, yeah, close to like 200 over the past four years almost. Do you, do you have a set routine um, where you do most of your reading first thing in the morning, first thing before you go to bed, in the middle of the day while you're eating lunch, at breakfast? How, how do you structure that? Yeah, so, so I have something called a book o'clock. So that's one of the reading tips. So just like you schedule a meeting or you schedule a time to go to the gym, you want to schedule your reading time. So for me, it's like an hour before bed. So usually around like 11 o'clock, I have a, notific- I have a reminder on my phone that just says, uh, turn off Wi-Fi, put phone on airplane mode. And just like, this is my reading time. So basically like I have an hour to read or if I'm tired, you know, I go to sleep. So that gives me like two options. And I put like my phone in the other room and so to like limit distractions. So that way I spend at least an hour every day reading. And then sometimes like in the morning or like during my lunch break, if I feel like, you know, reading a book, then that's like a bonus extra time too. But I think really just saying that space to where the only thing you're doing is reading is like super important. Just like you would schedule a meeting. And the only thing you're doing that during that time is like being in that meeting. So I think uh, that's a great tip for everyone. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, just prior to this call, we were kind of looking up. So you said you've read over 200 books. Um, you know, we were looking up, okay, how many books does the average person read in a given year? And we found the number was 12 and we were kind of taken back by that because we we're like 12 actually seems pretty high for the average person. Uh, but when you kind of take out that top 5% of the really avid readers, it actually breaks down to more like four. Um, so it's pretty cool to hear. So how old are you, Alex? 26. 26. Yeah. So at 26, you've basically read more books than most people will ever read in their lifetime, which I think is pretty <laughs> cool. Um, now, one idea that I've gotten before from a handful of people is that uh, the, when you read multiple books at the same time, it kind of does something like, this is going to be such a crude word to describe it, but like idea sex, where it's like you take an idea from one book, you take an idea from another book, and then like, you know, individually, they're good ideas and they're, they're tried and true principles, but then you go and kind of cross them over and you go and get this new idea from it. Um, how many books do you tend to go and read at a given time? Are you someone that tends to go and just grab a nonfiction book and read it all the way through? Or do you like to kind of go and intersect that with a few other books at once? Yeah, so... I have something I call like have a light read and have and then like a heavy read. So sometimes just like, you know, when you go out through throughout your day, sometimes you're hungry and you want like a snack. And sometimes you want like a full course, like dinner. You want to have that steak, potatoes, broccoli type of uh, meal. And the same thing goes for like your reading appetite. So usually I have like one light book that I could just pick up and read like a page a day. Like right now it's the Daily Stoic. And then I have like a heavier book, usually like a more of a nonfiction or a book that requires me to like really focus on it, take notes. And like, for instance, right now I'm reading a James Altucher new book. So I would say you always want to have like two books, one that you can just pick up, read anytime. One's like a little bit heavier. So that way you, you know, depending on how your, your mood is or your energy level, like you'll still have something to read at all times of the day. It's funny that the daily stoic is your light read. I mean, I understand it's only, it's only a page a day, uh, but it's just definitely not what I would consider a light read, but that's cool. How, how far in advance do you plan out what you're going to read? Do you, do you sit down at like the beginning of the year and say, I'm going to read this many nonfiction books, this many fiction books, or is it just whatever you're feeling for that month? Yeah. So I think trying to plan out maybe, I I think it is like, is is a good strategy, but maybe not the best strategy. What I try to do is plan out my reading time. So like I tried to read a minimum 25 minutes every night and I created this reading challenge called 25 250. 
So out of 250 days of the year, you try to read for 25 minutes. And I think if you focus on how much time you spent reading instead of like pages or books read, uh, it's a lot more efficient because you don't want to go for qu quantity of books read. You want to go for quality because there are some books uh, like, for instance, Daily Stoic. If you really want to read that book and like sit and like reflect on it, it's going to take a lot more time. And you don't want to like speed read a book that uh, that you really want to take some time. Think about it deeply. So I would focus more on, you know, time spent reading instead of maybe just pages read or the number of books you read in a year. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I kind of have two back-to-back -back questions. So I just actually finished up uh, your podcast, Writer on the Side, um, or the podcast interview with Writer on the Side. Uh, and you dove a lot into the strategies in terms of like how reading can actually go and improve your writing. Um, and so the two parts of this question, the first part is really like, what would you tell someone who it was like you in high school, had to read Shakespeare, Macbeth, you know, they, they're not a fan of reading and, and their high school English teachers kind of ruined that for them, uh, for lack of better words. Um, what would you tell them if they just really haven't been able to go and find a first book that they've actually enjoyed? Because I, I would imagine that comes up a lot. Yeah. Uh, so definitely start with short books. Like some people think like, oh, if it's a short book, it doesn't really count. It's more like a long blog post or something like that. But I would say that's completely untrue. There's a lot of great, you know, short books out there. So like as a man thinking, uh, man's search for meaning like who moved my cheese and a lot of these are more kind of like business kind of fable or parable books like uh the go-giver is like a really great short book that i love and so yeah start off with something short you know and the other thing is like don't be afraid to like quit a book or you know uh like because in school you're forced like you're assigned all these books but now as an adult you have this freedom or responsibility to kind of choose your own books and you know it happens a lot to me like i'll start reading a book and like i'm not i'm just not feeling it and I'll put it down. I'll quit it. And I, like, that's totally okay. So two pieces of advice, just start with like short books. And if you don't like a book, it's okay to quit it and just pick up another one. That's totally fine. What are your thoughts in terms of audiobooks? I feel like I never, I was always a really, really slow reader all throughout like middle school and even, even in high school. Um, but I, I quickly realized that I had a long drive to school and I'd throw on an audiobook. I was like, oh, it's actually really like interesting stuff I'm learning. Or like, um, I actually kind of wish I had done more of this. Um, so how do you, how do you kind of correlate that into, you know, reading? Do you, do you think that's, you, you lose stuff if you're just going with the audio side or it's a, it's a valuable addition or how do you, how do you look at it? Yeah. So yeah, what I like to say is like, find your book medium. So there are, yeah, you have audiobooks, ebooks, print books, and you know, different formats or mediums are fit people differently. And like, I believe like all reading is reading. So regardless, it's not like print books are necessarily better than audiobooks or vice versa. Like each of them have their pros and cons. Like you can't, you know, read a print book while driving a car, but you can li listen to audiobook while driving a car. So like that's one pro there, but you can't take notes in, in the audiobook as you can in a print book. So each of these have your pros and cons. Uh, personally, if I listen to an audiobook, it will be like, yeah, if I'm commuting or, you know, walking a dog or going to the gym, or it'll mostly be like fiction books where it's mostly stories and I'm listening to enjoy it and not really to take notes. Or sometimes if I read like a, a nonfiction book that I love, I'll get the audiobook version and then that's the form of like rereading it or getting it from a new perspective because I already took notes on it. I know what's in the book, but it's nice to kind of have that refresher uh, from the audiobook and it's a new way of enjoying the book. That's cool. Yeah, I have, I have a manager who's basically said that um, one of the best things that he does is he listens to almost everything on audiobook first, but he'll never buy the audiobook without buying the physical copy. And so he'll go and listen to the audiobook. And then when there's a section or in a certain chapter that he really likes, he'll actually open up the physical book, underline it, star it, highlight it, whatever. Just that way it's easy to come back and reference it. Mm, yeah. 
Um, so the other question I had in terms of uh, how you can actually go and improve your reading and your writing. So I think uh, I'm, I'd be the first to admit, like, I'm definitely not the fastest reader, right? Like, I think if I were to go and sit down for a three or 400 page book, it's definitely gonna take me a few days just to kind of at least like not get distracted, be able to really go and dive into it and finish it up. Um, seems like from everything I've read from you on Twitter that you definitely have a few different strategies on either how to go and read quicker, or if speed isn't necessarily your goal, how to go and comprehend what you're reading more. Um, do you have a couple of different frameworks that you use to go and do either of those two? Yeah. So, uh, Nepal has a great quote, like, um, if you could speed read a book, it might not be worth reading. And there, there, you don't like speed reading is a lot like speed eating. So like sometimes you want to, you know, if I'm, you know, prepping for a podcast and I want to reread a book, maybe I'll speed read it because I already read it. And it's more like a refresher, but you'll notice that the best times in reading is like when you come across something that makes you put the book down, like you have to stop and think. So it's, it's really, you could like speed read, but you can't always like speed comprehend. So again, it's like trade-offs in there. And yeah, I noticed like the more a book is worth reading, the more I'll want to stop and like take time to like take notes, write in it, uh, reflect on like, what am I learning? Uh, how can I apply this to my life? And, you know, some, some of the books that maybe I enjoy, but I know aren't going to change my life or aren't that impactful. Like I'm not going to spend, you know, extra time taking notes on it because the material in there isn't as valuable or I kind of already know it. So I would say, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs you make in reading, but the most important one is like, you always want to enjoy what you're reading. If you feel like you're taking too many notes or you're, like, you're, you're reading too slowly and it's kind of killing that reading experience, uh, that's going to make you dislike reading. And so you kind of want to avoid that. So, uh, and you'll notice that if you're reading this, a wonderful book and you learn something new, it's like, you'll find that energy to, you know, grab a pen or a highlighter to write that down because you're going to want to remember it. So yeah, let like the enjoyable experience of reading be your North star. If you find something interesting or something you want to remember, then take notes on it. And don't feel like you have to read a, read a book as fast as possible uh, because just because you read a book quickly doesn't mean you absorbed everything in it. Do you have specific tips and tricks on how to really formulate your notes? So like, I, I definitely feel like I read a lot kind of with audiobooks and in between, but I have a really hard time taking it to the next level. Like I almost never really mark up a book, like trying to find a marker as I'm reading or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I've, I found it actually really difficult to kind of get to that next stage of, yeah. you know, I've read the book and unfortunately now I've forgotten a lot of them too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for one reading tips, I highly recommend just buying hardcover books because it's so much easier to take notes than paperback or mass market books. And uh, what, what I say is you want to read a book naked. So after you buy a book, like the book cover is really just a marketing tool. It tells you about the author, the, you know, the book title, the subtitle, you don't, you really don't need it. So what I would recommend is take off your book cover so that way you can read naked. And as you go through the book, you want to create like your own table of contents. So if you find like an interesting quote or interesting lesson, uh, you want to write it down. So like I have like page 15. So we're talking about the Daily Stoke here. Uh, so page 15, seven functions of the mind. Or page 65, I put like a quote because I put a star because it was an interesting quote. So as you go through the book, you you know, you want to highlight, take notes of what you find interesting. Then you could always open up to the front page and it's like, hey, here's the most interesting things I found. Uh, I use like tabs. So if I want to quickly reference like what was something interesting in the book and towards the back cover, I'll write down on the left hand side is usually like what are the most important lessons I learned from the book. And then on the back right cover, after I finish reading a book, I'll look at the most important lessons and I'll try to figure out, okay, now that I know 
you know, this new information, how can I apply it to my life to improve it? So it's really this process of taking notes while reading, uh, identifying like what you found interesting in the front cover of the page, uh, in the back of the book, uh, then you write down the most important lessons, and then you try to translate those lessons into actionable advice. And then all the notes you're taking are actually in the book though, right? You don't have a separate notebook that, that you have on the side where you kind of summarize everything. So it's mostly on the book itself or in the pages. Yeah. So, so yeah, the notes are in the book. And then what I do, if the book is really like one of those transformational or like life-changing books, then you could, uh, I call it like the reader's uh, journal. So you could either have a physical notebook where you kind of write down uh, the most important lessons uh, you learned from the book. Or like for me, I have like a notion document where I kind of just type up, hey, here are the most important quotes or most important lessons. And then here's how I can start like applying it to my life. And you'll notice uh, again with that trade-off, it's like you only want to put in this extra effort for the books that are really changing your life. Because if a book has that much impact on you, you want to be able to review it and reference it in the future. That's awesome. Yeah, the exact strategy that you were just walking through in terms of highlighting and marking up books. I think I read one similar called, uh, it's called Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. Um, and it talks all about that strategy in terms of being able to go mark it up, actually don't being afraid to like write in a book, um, which I think is really cool. How do you think that compares to a lot of the new like book summary apps that are coming out or the YouTube channels where it's, you know, it takes every book and it gives you the three minute yeah. <laughs> breakdown. Do you think that's a, you know, like net positive or a net benefit? You think that's forcing people to kind of miss out on a lot of the good parts of the books or it at least is getting people involved in understanding some of the concepts? Yeah. I think what people have to realize is that all these like book summaries, like I use Blinkist and I was reading like, you know, I was on the free trial. So each day you get a new book summary. I think I got up to like 400 or something book summaries. And then I asked myself, like, what have I learned from all these book summaries? And the answer was absolutely nothing. I didn't remember, <laughs> not a thing. So what, what I realized is all these book summaries, they work in two ways. One, they work as a movie trailer. So it's like, hey, I'm not sure if this book is interesting. Uh, just like you would go to a movie, not sure if I want to go watch this movie, you watch the trailer. And that's one way a book summary works. And the second way it works as like a refresher or, as, uh, or it just kind of reminds you, like, what are the most important lessons from this book? Uh, so like, you know, if you didn't take notes on a book, then you could read like a book summary and be like, Hey, I remember this lesson or, Hey, yeah. Uh, you know, this quote I really liked, and maybe I could like figure out how to apply it to my life, but you can't really, you know, just like you watch a movie trailer, you kind of get a sense of what's going to happen in the movie, but you don't know all the details. The same thing happens when you read a book summary instead of reading the whole book. It's like you get a sample of it, but you don't get the entire thing. That's so funny that you just mentioned Blinkist. Cause I downloaded that last week. Um, trial ended. It didn't actually renew it. Um, but I, I think the biggest difference from my personal experience has been that with a Blinkist audiobook, you get a 20 minute synopsis of what a book's all about essentially. And that impacts me for the day, but it's definitely not going to impact me for the month or the year of my life. Whereas I can def I've definitely had a handful of books that I can count on like the ha my hand, um, that have, you know, influenced me for years. Uh, and so I think that's probably also a big takeaway, like how much of the learning sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. And it's really um comes down to just like the note-taking process. The more you put in, the more you're going to get out of it. So yeah, the more effort you put into like taking notes, writing, highlighting, uh, reviewing your notes, the more you'll remember. And, you know, the same thing comes to like book summaries. If, if you're not going to read the book, you're not going to get as much out of it. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with like reading a book summary to see whether or not you should buy a book or invest more into it. Because like, if you love the summary, chances are you'll love the book and you'll be more interested in it. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, pros to it as well. Once you actually take the notes on the book, how frequently are you going back and actually reviewing it? Is it only when you're actually, you know, you have that book in mind and you want to go look up a specific topic 
or do you spend a certain amount of time every month trying to get through and reread a decent amount of notes? Yeah. So, um, so part of like the 25 250 challenge I have, uh, just three sections, it's like reading, learning, and growing. Uh, so reading, obviously just read for 25 minutes a day. The learning part is like, that's when I kind of take the time to review my notes. And since I'm fortunate because you know, my brand's all around, all around books. So every, every like Friday or Saturday before I write my newsletter, I'll review my notes of, of what book I'm reading. And then I'll think, okay, what are like three most important lessons and how can I come up with three pieces of actionable advice? And I'll, I kind of turn that reviewing session into like my newsletter. And it's like, I'm creating it for myself, but then I'm just sharing it with everyone else on the newsletter. So it's like a win-win situation. Love that. So, all right. I don't want to just necessarily ask you what your favorite book is, because I think that's just a bad question. I think it's like the same thing as asking a chef, what's their favorite food? Like it just kind of depends on, you know, what you're in the mood for. Um, but instead I I would love to try to ask you your favorite books by genre. So I kind of just jotted down a few prior to this call. Um, and if you don't have one, we can totally just jump on over to the next one. And if we want to jump into different genres, we can do that too. Um, but for anyone listening, like I think Gio and I love to start businesses. That's just kind of like a thing of what we like to do. Like, do you have a favorite book on money, personal finance, things like that? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, psychology of money by Morgan Housel. That, was, that one's new, um, right? Huh? It's, it's a newer book, right? Yeah. 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 It just came out, uh, I think a few months ago, Uh phenomenal book, like Morgan It's like just 19 short stories of, of like, you know, different money lessons. And it's not really, uh, the technical side of money is more the psychology. It's like, why do people buy lottery tickets when they know they're not going to win? Or like, why did Bernie Madoff uh, create a Ponzi scheme when he was already making like 10 or $25 million a year legally? And it's just all this like fa- fascinating aspects of money and talking about greed, talking about, you know, the difference between being rich, rich and wealthy and, you know, rich is what you see, but wealth is like what you don't see. And that's just like an incredible book that I highly recommend people to check out. It's like the issue with this podcast is now I'm going to have like way too many books on the back of my <laughs> list that I got to get through. Yeah. Gio just opened up the Amazon app and he just bought it. So <laughs> um, on, on the topic of money, I got to, I got to shout out one of my favorite kind of recent books is uh, I think money by Jacob Goldstein from, from NPR. Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting history of like, you know, using gold for currency and then different, different, fiat and printed money and then how it relates to cryptocurrency. So I love, I love your pick. I'm, I'm ordering it and shout out to anyone else that wants to read another money-based book. Yeah. Now uh, money aside, and this can might go back to another business type book. Cause I feel like a lot of the self-help books tend to be businessy sometimes. Um, but favorite self-help book that you've read? Um, I, I would say uh, 12 rules for life is up there uh, by Jordan B. Peterson. Um, yeah. It just, it's like 12 simple rules for life that really ch- changed how I lived. Um, so one, the first one is like standing straight with your shoulders back and it's, it's not really about posture. It's just about, you know, life is hard, but you still have to like stand up and uh, take it like head on and just so many more rules, like do what is meaningful, not, not, not what's expedient. So like kind of do the right thing instead of doing what's the, like the easiest thing. And another one I highly recommend is uh, discipline equals freedom by Jocko Willing. And yeah, it's just like this paradox. Like you would think that the more discipline you have in your life, the less freedom you have. But again, it's like, um, if you want to have financial freedom, you need to be disciplined with your money. If you want to have, you know, freedom to eat whatever you want, you have to be disciplined with your workout exercise. And it's just, uh, like those two books. And I've been fortunate to meet the authors, uh, you know, 
that like that's how much I like the books. Like I had to go and meet the authors and thank you, thank them for writing it. So I definitely recommend those. That's cool. Yeah, I read the Twelve Rules for Life one a little over a year ago, um, and the chapter that you just referenced, "Stand Up with Your Back" or "Stand Up with Your Back Straight," something like that. Yeah. Uh, the lobster example in that book is hilarious. It's, yeah. <laughs> for anyone listening, it's essentially like there were two types of lo- or I might be butchering it now because it's been so long since I read it, but there's like two types of lobsters and the one would like slouch or something like that. The other one would really stand up straight. And the one that would stand up straight would go and like be able to mate the best, be able to go and reproduce the best. And then the ones that would like have this like slouch spine essentially would just start to die off. Is that my, am I botching that quote kind of? No, no that's, that's pretty accurate because it's not just um like your mind affects your body posture. It's like your body posture affects your mind. So like, even if you're maybe not feeling, feeling that great, it's hard to feel bad when you're standing up straight and you have your shoulders back and you're like walking like confidently and like taking up space. So, uh, you know, you have to, there's like, um, like that mind body connection. And I think, um, Tony Robbins talks about this on like neuro linguistic programming. And like, as you read more books, you'll notice like there's huge overlap. And it's like this one author mentions something and reminds you from this other book. And it's just, um, yeah, so it's, it's really fascinating to learn how just like changing your posture could kind of change your mood or change your like outlook on life. So for anyone listening right now, posture check. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I saw you tweeted this one out the other day, so I wanted to go and dive into it because I don't think that a lot of people are willing to dive into these types of books, mostly because of probably just having the cover on it and reading it out in public, but like favorite book on dating. Yeah, I could, I could list you a whole bunch. Uh, <laughs> Um, so a good one to start with is, uh, let, let's go, uh, man's guide to woman, I think by John Gottman and his, and his wife. And these guys studied or been studying relationships for like the past 40 years. And like, this is like legitimate scientific studies of what makes like a relationship work and just un- understand like dating is such a, such an important skill because like you're choosing who to spend your life with for the rest of your life, who, who to spend your time with for the rest of your life. And like, no one teaches you how to date, how to court, like how to flirt, uh, what makes a good relationship different from a bad relationship. And like, if you go on TikTok, it's all these like memes and videos about toxic relationships. Like you don't want one of those. That's not going to be a fun time. And yeah, like, I'm just so surprised that such an important aspect of someone's life isn't like taught. And like, that's why I highly encourage people to read books about dating and relationships. Um, yeah, there's another great book. Um, uh, t- the name is escaping me, but, but it's by Joffrey Miller and Tucker Max. So t- Tucker Max created kind of the whole, um, like frat boy kind of literature scene. At, meanwhile, jo- jo- Joffrey Miller is like a PhD scientist who studies, uh, like, uh, evolutionary biology and psychology. And that combination of, you know, personal experience of being a player with like scientific studies just makes for like a wonderful book. So, uh, highly recommend those two. Is it called mate? Yeah. Mate. And I think they changed the title recently. I have the updated edition. Become the man woman want something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right. Two more, two more on this, uh, book example question. So, uh, the next one is adventure slash nonfiction. Adventure slash let me know. Let me know. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Adventure slash fiction. Let me, let me oh. know if it's too broad, by the way, I, I kind of just put it down because I think I tend to try to only read nonfiction books, right. but I also just read like a memoir, for example, called uh, red notice, like one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and while that's not necessarily fiction, it, it's written like it's a fiction book with a lot of adventure in it. Um, so yeah. I'd love to know of any other like, kind of light reading similar to that. I'll give you just a fiction book. Uh, the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. That was really a phenomenal book. It just teaches you 
uh, you don't want to pursue just pleasure in life because in the in the book he kind of becomes immortal and he kind of just lives a life of pleasure which is like you know sex drugs traveling this and that and he kind of realizes that, like you know his life isn't just meaningful just from that and just kind of reading that book earlier in my life is like you know before with my life i was just kind of seeking pleasure so like video games you know just hanging out with friends going out drinking and it is fun like temporarily but you can't like make an entire life out of that it's not very sustainable and just kind of reading that book was kind of like a warning it's like hey if you continue down this path uh you know the life didn't end well for Dorian gray and like you don't want to be in that similar situation uh so that was kind of like a wake-up call and just a really great book to read that's awesome and then uh the one other one i have on the book question is um any book so you've read you're 26, you've read over 200 books. So I'd imagine that it's it's almost like a kid in the candy shop whenever you go to a library now, there are Barnes Noble at this point where you're just like, you know, I want to get that book. I want to get that book. Oh, that's a new book. I've heard it's really good. Um, but have you ever taken a second to pause and, and actually reread any books? Yes. So, so that's one thing I'm actually working on more now. It's like when you read a book that like kind of changes your life, you kind of want to go back to, you know, reread it uh, because the best books, just like the best movies, you have to watch them more than once, or in this case, read the book more than once uh, because they have there's so much valuable information. It's impossible to get everything the first time around. And what you'll also notice is like uh, there's a famous quote uh, that no man steps in the same river twice. And you can say the same thing about books. No one like reads the same book twice because you'll be like in a different stage of life. Or maybe when you reread, you, when you reread it, you'll find like new interesting uh, lessons you may have missed the first time. And so, yeah, like I'll reread uh, 12, 12 Rules for Life, uh, Can't Hurt Me. And like, as we mentioned earlier, a great way to reread a book is like uh, get the audiobook version. Uh, so that's one thing I've been doing as well. And yeah, so How to Win Friends and Influence People, reread that uh, not too long ago. And yeah, if there's a book that changed your life like a couple of years ago, you know, spend some time to reread it uh, because chances are there's still a lot more meaningful information you could get out of it. Have you listened to the Can't Hurt Me audiobook? Yeah, yeah. I, I got to imagine. So I haven't read the book. I've only listened to the audiobook. I've got to imagine it's so much better than the actual book only because they have like that little like radio talk show in between chapters. Yeah. And I was listening to it this over the summer and you just like, basically Goggins will go in, tell a story in the book about like, you know, this time that he broke every bone in his foot, whatever like that, uh, running an ultra marathon. And then the chapter will end. And as a reader, I got to imagine like, it's like, Oh man, like that sucks. And then in the interlude in between the chapters, you have Goggins turn around to the uh, commentator, the guy who's kind of helping him make the actual audiobook, And he's like, Oh yeah, no, that fucking sucked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he'll, he'll dive into like the details that he didn't actually go and share in the book, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. I, have a, I have a question in terms of uh, kind of still going on the, the list of favorite books. What, what book do you think you've taken the most notes on in terms Ooh. of, you know, doesn't really matter the size, but you know what, what book are you going to open up and, and, and everything's covered in notes? Uh, yeah, definitely 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Yeah. yeah. And then his new book just came out today. So I'm just waiting eagerly for the copy. What's his new book? Uh, I think, I believe it's called uh, 12 More Rules for Life. 12 more. So, and then now 24 rules for life. I was going to say, I, I would imagine that he did something today um, because of the fact that I think he just went on the Tim Ferriss podcast yeah. this morning. Yeah. So anytime that these authors go out, they kind of just do a little bit of a podcast tour these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to take a quick little shift in the conversation. So the first 30 minutes here has really been all about uh, the best books you've read, why you're reading books, how people can read more books, et cetera. Um, but you don't just sit around all day and you read books. You actually do a lot of cool stuff from a content standpoint. You're actually putting out a lot of content um, as a creator. 
And so I'd love to go and like, all right, first of all, let's, let's break down your audience for anyone listening, right? Like I, I did a quick little uh, synopsis. So in case you're curious yourself, you have 20,000 Twitter followers, 1600 YouTube subscribers, 88,000 Instagram followers, 6,000 TikTok followers. Is it followers on TikTok? <laughs> I'm, I'm not on TikTok as much as I should be. Um, and 4,700 newsletter subscribers. And you have a podcast, which I couldn't get numbers for that. So apologies. Uh, but your goal this year is 35,000 Twitter followers, 10,000 YouTube subscribers, 12,000 newsletter subscribers, and 175,000 Instagram followers. So my question comes down to this. You have, you're in a very evergreen niche, right? At the end of the day, you can make content all day long because a good chunk of your content comes from other people's content. So the more you read, the more that you can put out, which I think is really smart. Now, what advice would you have for someone today who sees the following you have, sees the content that you're putting out and wants to go and get started, but has really no idea where to begin? Yeah. Well, one, I got to say, very impressed by the research. <laughs> uh, two, yeah. What I like to say is uh, every social media platform is like its own country. So you might think like, hey, the Alex and Books audience on Instagram is the same as Twitter or the same as TikTok, but that's not true. It's like different people on different platforms and the, the way you have to create content or format it is different for each one. So what I would say is like, first, probably, yeah, you want to sign up for each one and you want to kind of experiment. Like which one do you actually enjoy creating content on? So for me, like I enjoyed Instagram because it's really just taking a picture of what, what book I'm reading and sharing the quotes. And that was like pretty simple. And then like for what I like about Twitter is like, it's a lot more text-based. So like if I had to, if I want to share like a Twitter thread or kind of like just my thoughts on reading, it'd be, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't perform that well on Instagram if I just shared like a, you know, a long text-based essay on it or something like that. And then TikTok is just kind of like my creative side where I just create like funny, entertaining uh, videos around books, uh, try to inspire people more to read. And if I post that on like Twitter, it's not going to do as well. So it's really, you know, sign up for, for all like the social media platforms, figure out which one do you actually enjoy creating content on? Because even if you, even if the content does really well and you don't enjoy doing it, like you're not going to be on there long. Like you're going to quit, you're going to burn out. Uh, so you, not only do you have to create good content, you have to enjoy the process of doing it because becoming a content creator is a long-term game. Like I'm four years in and it's still not like a full-time job, hopefully in a year or two. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a long-term game. And then once you find out like the platform you really enjoy uh, being on and you're creating good content there, th then you want to double down. Like first I doubled down on Instagram, then I doubled down on Twitter, and now I'm experimenting more on uh, YouTube and TikTok. And so, yeah, so experiment, dip your toes, kind of sample different social media platforms, find out what you enjoy doing, what works well, and then, you know, just go all in, all in that, on that platform for now. And then once, you know, your audience grows big enough, then you could explore and, you know, share your content on other platforms. Where do you think you have the most engaged audience in terms of not, not just that they follow you, but they subscribe to your newsletter, they do not DM your, maybe it is Twitter, um, and they kind of interact with you. Where do, where do you find that coming from? Uh, I would say probably Twitter because Twitter. since Twitter is text-based and since books is all about reading text, you make, uh, it make logical sense that more readers are on Twitter because on Instagram, I often get people saying like, Hey, you know, I don't really read books, but I enjoy like reading your book posts or, uh, seeing pictures of your books on Instagram. It's like, well, you know, that's great. I'm happy you like the post, but like, I also want you to read books. And meanwhile, on Twitter, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm already a re reader and I love your book recommendations or I love your reading tips. And it's kind of like Instagram is like people who want to read more. Meanwhile, Twitter is like people who are already reading and want to become better readers. That's cool. I think that we are really lucky. So we're, we're all in our 20s here. And so we're lucky because we have people who are much older than us, like 
Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, uh, who kind of paved the way for a lot of content creators. Right? If you look back in 2010, running a podcast full-time is not a full-time job, right? It's, it's something that you just kind of do. Um, but now it's almost a little bit more normalized. Like you have a lot of people who have their own podcast, YouTube channel. They're trying to go grow big on Twitter. Um, this question is a little bit weird, but I want to know, like, how do you describe what you do to your parents, <laughs> <laughs> they, they still really don't know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I figured they, they something know, like that. Yeah. They just go, Oh, he's, he's reading a lot of books and he gets a lot of book packages. So, you know, at least he's not <laughs> doing anything bad. That's really, that's really what it does. <laughs> awesome. Um, now I think one big takeaway I've had from talking to, with other content creators is that consistency is always the, the, number one base factor, right? Like you, if you want to go and grow an audience and you want to go and promote your work, you have to do it daily, if not, you know, every other day. Um, and at least that uh, you can't just take a lot of time off and that, so that, that becomes a little bit difficult. Um, that's a prerequisite. And from what I've read, uh, are there other sides of this that you think are very important for growing an audience that people don't talk about as much or things that you personally have had success with? Yeah. Uh, you constantly, as a content creator, because the algorithm is constantly changing, you have to change with it. And you'll notice that whenever kind of like a platform releases like a new feature, uh, you kind of want to adapt to it. So like when Instagram put out the carousel, I started doing a lot more of those and that performed really well. Uh, when Instagram put out reels, I started doing a lot more of those and I gained like 10,000 uh, followers in like one month because like wow. Instagram was really pushing reels and comp competing with TikTok. And yeah, so whenever like, you know, a platform puts out something new, uh, you really want to, you know, experiment with that because chances are they want to incentivize users or content creators to use it. So they'll push your content. Uh, so that was really specifically with Reels. And just, you know, constantly be, be experimenting, like see what works. Uh, so there's that famous, you know, dude with the sign on Instagram where he just holds up a cardboard sign and he writes a message. And I basically like copy that, but did like a book version of it. And like I did that three times and like those three posts are like some of my most popular posts. And it's nice. like fun to like do something different, mix it up, uh, you know, hop on trends too. That's another one. So like the, how it started, how's, how's it going trend? I did that with a picture of my library and like that blew up on Twitter. And yeah, so like you want to, you know, social media is like a culture that's constantly changing. And you, like, you want to be in that culture. You want to know what's hot, what's going on now and kind of experiment it. So whatever your niche is, like, you know, see what trend is popping and then try to format it towards your own content. And chances are, you know, people will relate to it and they'll see like, oh, this is kind of new and original content and they'll reward you for it by sharing it, liking it, uh, saving it. Uh, so definitely like constantly be experimenting as a content creator. And how do you think that compares to content now and how that relates to books? I feel like there are probably a lot of people in this day and age that, you know, might have written a book 20 years ago, but now they're focusing on on blogs or or YouTube channels, you know, do, do you think those are going to become, you know, higher quality sooner? Or is, is that where things are going? Or do you think we're going to still have like a stable platform of, you know, directly related book authors or kind of a, a stream of those coming in? Yeah. What we're inter interestingly, what we're seeing is like now before it was like you write a book and then you kind of build your audience from that book. Now it's kind of like the opposite. Like you built your audience and then like people want you or publishers want you to write a book. Because like if you have like 100,000 Twitter followers and like, you know, 20,000 newsletter subscribers, you look like a safe bet for publishers. And like you'll notice a lot of like these influencers and whatnot are writing books, even though they're not authors. 
because, you know, publishing companies want them to write books because, you know, it's the easy way for them to make money. Uh, and that's kind of one of the strategies I'm using. Like I'm building up this social media audience because in the future I do want to like just spend more time writing my own books. And so I think you'll start to see more people with a big audience write books instead of unknown authors, you know, write books and then try to build an audience from that. Nice. Um, and now one question I had is that at, from a creator standpoint, or even just someone who's trying to go and build up an audience, the best way to do it from what I've read and from what I've seen people do is you really want to go and start with some kind of niche and then build all of your content around that. Right. So like, let's take some examples, right? If you look at like Twitter, uh, it's like the Pompliano brothers, right? Like they're big into Bitcoin, the ones big into sports and you know, that's how they're kind of like growing up their audience that way. Uh, you look at Joe Rogan, it's like, okay, UFC and stand-up comedy. You look at Tim Ferriss, it's, and again, I feel like I'm kind of using the same examples now, but like Tim Ferriss is like human guinea pig, kind of like learning and trying to like, that, that's what he calls himself, right? Um, and obviously I think people can say the same for you, right? You think Alex, you think books. You've done an awesome job marketing yourself that way. And I think that's really smart because it's an easy way for you to go and grow up your audience because people instantly associate you with books and learning and things like that. Do you ever find it frustrating at times tying your identity to one thing um yeah i guess i guess that's kind of the, the whole the whole question like i think i think when you're starting out being able to pick a niche is really great for marketing but do you ever find that there's certain days where you're like damn i just want to tweet about video games or talk about like traveling or, or something like that uh well yes and no uh i was very deliberate when, before i even started out some books i want to create like some kind of influence, you know, be an influencer for something, I guess you could say. And, you know, the choices were like either gym working out or like books. And I realized like one, there's not really, there's a ton of like people being gym influencers. So I didn't want to do that. And I thought books was like more original and more uh, niche. So less competition, but also like I wanted reading to be something or I want to pick something that I want to do for the rest of my life. So like reading books is definitely like, like what I say, it's like, you don't want to, create a reading habit you want to create a lifelong reading habit and that's the way i look at my books like i want to be doing this for the rest of my life like i want to be reading books i want to be writing books so for me i don't feel like i'm trapped in this area because i chose this box and like i want to be in this box for as long as i possibly can and then two it's like i do share like hey like i i do like uh talking about social media growth because i find it interesting i was a marketing major so every now and then i'll share like a twitter thread it's like hey how to, here's how to grow your audience on social media and, you know, what you'll find is like, hey, people, some people might be interested, some people might not be, but as long as you stick to like that core area or your core domain, and even if you talk about like basketball or video games or like social media, you know, people won't mind that, you know, you go off topic uh, every now and then. So, you know, you, you know, start with that small uh, niche and grow, grow it into as big as possible. And then if you want to, you know, kind of experiment, go down different avenues, you know, that's totally fine too. Do you have any uh, specific content creators that you look up to yourself on someone, you know, whether it's books related or entirely separate category? Uh, so yeah, so right off Twitter, I would say uh, David Perel, uh, Matthew Kobach, uh, James Clear, Naval. And like, I feel like any kind of social media platform you go on, you want to study like the top creators, kind of see, because they're like masters at the game. So like if you're on YouTube, you want to be looking at, you know, David Dobrik, uh, Logan Paul, like those type of Mr. Beast, those type types of people. And yeah, so like any kind of social media platform you're at, study like people who are masters at the game, try to, you know, see what they're doing and try to analyze their content and kind of, you know, use, use you know, their, their kind of format, like uh, 
yeah, kind of use what you learn from them with, with your own uh, content and that will like help you grow there. Awesome. Um, now from a lot of people I talk to reading is the number one way to go and learn a new subject, right? Like it's very rare to find, say, I want to go and learn about how to be more uh, savvy with my personal finances. I can now dive into a two or 300 page book talking exactly tactics, principles, all of that kind of stuff. But the past two or three years, we're definitely seeing that a lot of people are moving away from just creating books and actually creating more courses. And I think um, there's one quote, I forget where I'm hearing it from now, of someone saying like, essentially, you make a lot more money on the courses, right? Like you can make 100%, whereas a publisher takes a big cut of a book, there's the distribution, there's the marketing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, now, what are your thoughts in terms of how much you can go and learn from a course versus a book? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you're starting to see books kind of being more like kind of marketing devices or like top of funnel where like you'll read a book, you're interested in it. And then if you want to like dive in deeper with it, or you want like something more interactive, you can get a course. Um, but I think as long as you're learning, whether it be books, courses, podcasts, you know, YouTube videos, I think like that's a win. Like I'm a, you know, strong, advocate, a strong, you know, ambassador for books and reading, but there's nothing wrong. Like if you say like, Hey, I, I rather, you know, go take this video course or listen to the podcast. Like that's totally cool too. Like just find what works for you. And as long as you're learning, like you kind of winning at the end of the day. Awesome. And now actually might be a good time to transition. I think you're launching a course in the next week or two, right? Yeah. So it's taking a little bit longer to kind of, cause it's my first time doing it. So it might be, uh, you know, I'm hoping getting out kind of summer, um, 2020 or maybe in the spring earlier, but yeah. So the course is called like the art of reading and it's really just teaching people kind of like the skill of reading, uh, it's broken down to three sections, um, how to find and filter for amazing books, how to get more books into your life and then how to get more life out of your books. That's awesome. If, uh, this podcast will probably air sometime in March. Uh, if people do want to sign up, do you have a wait list for this course or are you planning on building anything like that, that we can go and actually direct people to? Yeah. So if you just go to alexandbooks.com, you could find the course there and you could pre-order it. And there's a whole like uh, page to like learn more about the course, what's in it and uh, all that good stuff. Awesome. Um, I think that's, that's most of what I have on my side. Gio, do you have any other questions? No, I think you answered everything. Learned a lot. Um, Alex, if people enjoyed this conversation, wanted to connect with you afterwards, want to go and learn more from you, where can they go and find you? Uh, so you can just search for Alex and books on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. I have a podcast. It's called the reader's journey with Alex and books where I like interview my favorite authors. Um, and yeah, I also have alexandbooks.com where you can read my articles, find book recommendations, anything like that. So if you just search for Alex and books on the internet, you'll, you'll find some of my content. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today, Alex. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, guys, it's been a pleasure talking about books, uh, talking about social media and, uh, you know, great questions. Appreciate the research and it's been a lot of fun.